and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. Living with pain is like walking through a battlefield. You try and move forward, cowering and wondering where the enemy is and where the next attack is coming from. For my listeners with chronic conditions and chronic pain, I know you understand the truth of this statement, which was written by our incredible guest for today, Samantha Moss, or Sam, and it is from her book, My Medical Musings, A Life of Love, Laughter, Faith, and Hope, as I learn to live again with a rare disease. Pain and illness can ripple across your life, causing everything to come to a standstill. Your life feels like someone hit the pause button, and your reality now mirrors either Groundhog Day or the middle of a horror movie. One of the biggest questions we all have as we go through our challenges is, how do we keep going? And more importantly, how do we find a way to live and not just survive? Is it possible to not let your condition define who you are? This brings me to our discussion for today's episode. I am using the word discussion here because acceptance and finding ways to not let disease and pain be your life is highly individualized and tends not to be an easy or straightforward path. But by hearing others' perspectives, we may be able to learn and reflect on our own journey. With that said, I am honored to introduce Samantha Moss. Sam had a successful management career in financial services until 2014 when she had a severe bowel prolapse and was diagnosed with complex idiopathic rare bone disease, along with many autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis. Her rare bone disease causes constant pathological broken bones. Sam began her blog, Medical Musings with Sam, as a way to cope, but she soon realized the need for support from people with similar issues. And in 2017, she started Medical Musings with Friends, an online support group, which is now 1,800 members strong. She also started a podcast and wrote a book based on her blog, which I mentioned in the beginning, which is called My Medical Musings, a life of love, laughter, faith, and hope as I learn to live again with a rare disease, currently being sold on Amazon. Through all the ups and downs, all the hospitalizations, treatments, setbacks, and pain, Sam has emerged as a strong, passionate, and empathetic patient advocate. And I know I feel lucky to have her in our community and as a guest on the show. Sam, thank you so much for being on the show today. Melissa, thank you so much. That's such a beautiful introduction, and it is absolutely my pleasure to be with you today. I was so excited when you invited me to the interview, so I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was easy to open with uh, your writing. It was a great, <laughs> great segue for me. I could just use that. Such a great writer. 
So I know I touched on some of your story, but could you share a little bit more and also maybe the symptoms and conditions you currently manage? Sure, absolutely. Um, and it is complex. So I'll try and keep it as short as I possibly can. Um, the, the book that I've just written, uh, when people are getting it, they're going, oh, my goodness, this is a really, this is a real book. <laughs> this has lots of pages. I'm like, well, yeah, it's a big story. Like, yes. <laughs> so um, I'll try and keep it short. But um, so I guess basically when I think about my health story and when I try to keep it simple, it, for me, it breaks neatly into three areas, which you mentioned in the introduction. So rheumatoid arthritis, having a permanent colostomy as a result of having a bowel prolapse or was actually a rectal prolapse in my case, and I'll, I'll touch on that a bit later. But And also then <laughs> discovering I had a rare bone disease, which was really probably more life-changing than the other two conditions. And then I have what I call side dishes, which I think you named other autoimmune issues. I like that. um, I like to call them side dishes. um, They just kind of sit there and raise their ugly heads every now and again and um, I try and keep them managed and quiet. (laughs) That's where the side dishes fit in. Um, But basically, in terms of my story, and and as I said, it's a long story, but it started, um, look, it probably started really when I was a child, but when I think about where I am today, it started in around about 2010 and my husband and I had gone on a holiday um, to the northern part of New South Wales in Australia in a lovely area in the Hunter Valley, lots of wineries and bed and breakfasts and farms and it's just beautiful. Um, we'd had a really lovely holiday. My husband was um, actually doing a, a wedding for a family friend. He's an Anglican minister, so, um, but it was, it was done at a winery and it was just beautiful. So we had a great weekend. But on the way back, I felt so ill, unbelievably ill. I couldn't, um, I was actually driving at the time. I said to my husband, I need to, we need to swap. There's something wrong. I, I just feel really dizzy. I can't hold the steering wheel. I've got pain steering through my hands. You know, I just don't know what's going on. Anyway, we managed to get home and I still felt really awful. And we got into my um, my general practitioner, my GP, I think you call them PCPs over there um, in, yeah. in the US. But um, <laughs> so my GP, and um, he's a wonderful man. And he um, just said, oh, let's just do a, a whole series of tests and see what's going on. And he tested for a whole kind of, uh, of different things. And he came up that I was positive for Ross River virus and Q fever. And, um, and then my autoimmune sort of um, markers, if you like, were just all over the place. So I got sent to an infectious disease specialist who um, said, you know what, Sam, he said, I don't think you've got any of these things. He said, I think they're all false positives and something else is going on. And, um, and he was right, and I eventually got um, sent to an autoimmune uh, specialist as well, and it turned out that at that point I, I had rheumatoid arthritis. What we didn't realise was I probably had the bone disease as well, but uh, which is what was complicating everything in terms of blood test results. But we weren't to find that out for a few more years in terms of the consequences of that. So I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. I needed to take a bit of time off work. I was, I think you you mentioned at the beginning, I was in financial services. I was an executive manager, was heading up a really large department in in a bank here in in Queensland in in Australia. You know, I love my job. I had an amazing team. I was so well supported. Um, In fact, I had taken three months off. I was still sort of working at home because I'm one of those kind of people that can't stop working. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was still working from home. They were quite happy for me to do that. But 
And I even got awarded an inaugural leader of the year award, even though I'd taken time off. So that was the kind of support I was being given from work. I was, you know, so, so blessed to have that, that support through, through that time. So I was given medication for rheumatoid arthritis and sort of started feeling a tiny bit better, put on prednisone, um, which is been the bane of my life ever since I'm still on it um, but that's okay it, it helps me so um, I'm not complaining at that but then a year later I was at work and I'm sure many people around the world would know of Melbourne Cup here in um, here in Australia the, the, the big famous horse race and even though we're in Queensland everybody celebrates across the nation and at work we have this um, or we had uh, you know a really fun day of people dressing up as if they were you know on the field and um you know we had lots of afternoon teas and morning teas and really made it a special event and I had to as the the manager um judge the fashions on fields and I got to work that day and I felt oh just a bit odd you know just again like something had changed symptoms were changing my stomach was really sore I was aching all over and I just thought oh I've just got to get through this day let's just get on with it and it was about 10 o'clock in the morning and my personal assistant had the office next door to me and I was just in so much pain in my abdomen. It was growing and growing and growing and I thought, this is something's wrong. And I kind of dashed past her office to go to the toilet. And she, she knew me so well. She had looked out the window and thought, something's not right. <laughs> so she followed me in and um, found me in there and just took one look at me and said, I'm ringing your husband, you're going home. And I went, no, 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 I've got so much on, I can't go home. It's just not, you know, not possible. And anyway, she did ring my husband and he did come in to get me. Um, <laughs> but I was determined to still do this judging of these, um, you know, fashions on the field. So my leaders all ran around and took photos of everybody that had been in the competition. And um, so I was able to look at the photos and make the decision of who was going to win. And then the winner came up and we took a photo, you know, together and, you know, all that kind of stuff that you have to do in those roles. And But when I look back on the photos, my leaders were all sort of standing around me and they're holding me up. And I look terrible, Melissa, honestly. I looked like... I should have been I should have been horizontal in a hospital bed, not trying to, you know, take these fashions on the fields. Anyway, got home, went back to the doctor. He just sent me straight for scans and they thought I might have had appendicitis, you know, that's kind of what came up. But they also um just said that it looked like the the whole bowel just wasn't working. So I got sent off to a colorectal surgeon and I actually got in the next day, which was unheard of, but I think my GP made it like an urgent, urgent situation. Yeah. Anyway, so after um, seeing him, he was excellent. And he sent me for some um, amazing tests, which I mentioned in my book in detail to explain to people the process of what has to happen in these situations. So there's a test called a defecography, which I won't go into, but if anybody wants to look it up, um, yes, make sure that you're not eating and that you're... <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, chronic pain and illness, my ick factor is so much higher. You know, it's like, I'm just like, no, nope, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. You can talk... <laughs> all those things all along and I'm like look you know I mean I have friends that were like oh my stool's a little loose I'm like you want me to look at it I yeah exactly you don't worry with me but it's just you get used to it you see it it's a human body and you get you get used to it you don't you leave your dignity you really do have to leave your dignity at the door and trust people you just have to trust the people that are caring for you that um they know what they're doing and it's 
purely medical and you're okay. That's right. They're not so doing this anyway. for enjoyment. No, exactly. Once we'd done the test, spoke to the colorectal surgeon, he saw me straight afterwards, which was absolutely wonderful. And he basically just said, you know what, Sam? He said, I'm looking at this result and basically you're stuffed. <laughs> his words and he absolutely meant that because the bowel was completely non-functional it had um the rectum had collapsed on such an angle he said it would have been to some degree congenital I would have had that condition since birth to a degree Mm. and not knowing that what I had perhaps been experiencing over the years wasn't normal um I didn't really do anything about it. You, you, your own normal is your normal, isn't it, to a degree? Mm-hmm. But um, I, I certainly knew for quite a number of years that I was having difficulty, you know, with my bowels. But, you know, you think, like, oh, it's irritable bowel syndrome or it's, you know, something like this, you know, and you just, you're busy with work and you just keep pushing through and that's what I did. Um, so anyway, to the point where then I ended up with a completely non-functioning bowel. But they had to try and... Um, lift up the rectum so I had some conservative surgery a couple of times and it just kept prolapsing again so Mm. the final result was the best thing to do was to have a permanent colostomy and honestly it was the best thing to do and I've been incredibly grateful to have that and while for some people it might seem like the end of the world for me it was like just pure release, pure, pure release. Um, so that was, in a sense, a good thing. And then I guess in terms of my story, the next big event was um, I then medically retired because by the time I had rheumatoid arthritis and a permanent colostomy, really the two hand in hand made working quite difficult. So, um, I needed to medically retire. And um, I'm really grateful that I did because eight months after medically retiring, I was walking to my, literally this is all I was doing, walking to my bedroom door and my left femur snapped in two. Oh, my as God. If, yeah, as if I had been in a major car crash or had fallen off a, a building. And that's the words that were told to me by um, the paramedics and, and the specialists at the hospital. They just couldn't believe it. And I was incredibly lucky that it didn't sever my femoral nerve. I could have, I could have died. There's a huge, amazing story around that, um, <laughs> which I won't go into because we'll be here forever, but my auntie basically had just arrived from the UK. I hadn't seen her for 30 years and we just picked her up from the airport eight years prior. But the interesting part of that story was she was a registered nurse and had she not been there to help me and my husband, we don't know what we, what we would have done. So uh, just an amazing moment in the midst of of what could have been an incredible tragedy and 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 so confusing for the paramedics as well because I was sort of like, well, how could this be? How can you just break? Like I just was walking down the hall and I know it was just crazy. So long story short, again, that's how I got diagnosed with the rare Mm. bone disease. A year later, my right femur broke. Um, my feet are constantly fractured. Um, my spine is now um, affected with severe spinal stenosis and nerve compression, and I get compression fractures in there as well and can go from being able to sit upright to not being able to sit upright at all. Um, I, you know, just last year had uh, 7 to 12 weeks completely uh, bedridden and um, hospitalised for six of those, unable to stand, walk, sit, you know, do anything. Um, so, and then slowly um, I can kind of crawl back a little bit, but each time an episode like that happens, I end up with a new normal um, in terms of, of the disability. So that's what we're dealing with at the moment, what my kind of new normal is post post that. So 
In terms of symptoms, um, yeah, you know, as I said, the broken bones, they don't heal. Um, the constant pain, it, um, mm. as you would know, Melissa, with pain as well, it's, you know, around eight or nine t out of ten without meds. And once I have my meds in, I can get it down to about six or seven out of ten for, you know, a few hours and then you've got to take more. Yeah, um, what I'm going to say to you is, is your six or seven is probably a ten for someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you do yeah, get, you get used to when you, yeah. yeah, you get a high tolerance when you have it as much yeah. as you do. I'm sure you that do. your six or seven is, is, is a lot higher. <laughs> but it's still like that sense of relief isn't it you kind of go yes oh. <laughs> yes yes so even i'll take a couple numbers down any day yeah absolutely, absolutely yeah that's right yeah so i guess um at the moment you know i'm just celebrating the fact i don't need to have bed bars anymore because i had to have them for 12 weeks and it's really nice to be able to get into a shower and um my husband's my full-time carer so you know i have him on hand to help me if i if i need help which is lovely but um you know with rails and things i'm quite able to sort of hang on and it's just so nice to have those simple things return to your life you know you kind of just stand on the shower and go oh that's so nice <laughs> But, um, showering and probably not being like hand bathed and everything else. Yeah, it's just yeah, lovely. Yeah, Once you take absolutely. a shower again, you're like, that was amazing. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Although yeah. in saying that, you know, I was so incredibly grateful for the care that I had from we had carers come in every day at home as well as obviously in the hospital as very well cared for as well. But you know, if you think of bed baths and you just think, oh, you know, how awful. But you know, they were just heaven, absolute heaven. And the care that was given was just amazing. And um, I even discovered that there are, uh, and I'm sure some people um, listening would, would know of this, but there are actual caps, shampoo, hair oh, caps. You know, like you put a, yeah, a, a microwave one and then they're warm. There's yeah. ones that fit in the microwave. They're heaven. I used them in my last <laughs> couple surgeries. Oh. I had no idea. I used it last year when I was in the hospital and it was so lovely just yeah. to be able to wash your hair and go in the bed, you know. <laughs> oh my God. I used it on my grandfather when he didn't want to bathe anymore and he had dementia yeah. and, and I'd put him on and he'd go, oh, this is nice. <laughs> so. It's amazing. Yeah. So the things you discover are just incredible. <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was a bit of a godsend for me. It's, it's just always, I guess, dealing with the unknown. Like this week I had a um, abdominal ultrasound and because um, there's more stuff happening with my stomach and we're trying to figure out what's going on I'm now anemic and they're trying to figure out where I'm bleeding from and those kind of things but um, so what's shown up now is there's some kind of systole lesion on my right kidney so now we're going to have to try and figure out what that's all about and so it's always little things that little or big that crop up and you know it's the unknowns and you just have to be ready for them and when you've got a chronic illness or, or a disease that's a bit idiopathic in nature, um, you just have to deal with each thing as it comes and, um, you know, be, be ready to think about how that's going to impact you and what you need to do to, to cope with that. So I guess, um, yeah, that, that's pretty much my story at this point. Well, that's, a, that's a big story. And I know that that was probably hard to condense it down like that, but you did an excellent job. But yes, it's <laughs> quite the story and you have a lot that you are managing and I know I am not the only one after listening to your story that wants to know how did you begin to find acceptance you know living with your many many conditions and what does really acceptance mean to you it's a really big topic isn't it acceptance mm -hmm. and it's one I talk about a lot in my blog um podcast and and, and definitely in, in the book but I guess for me I've been fortunate in that 
my decline in my health, it happens step by step, um, mm. you know, over the course of four years, that the sort of the dramatic change. So each of those three diagnoses that we've been talking about, you know, they were big on their own. And I think if they had have all happened all at once, I possibly would be in a corner with a blanket over my head. But, um, you know, because they didn't and I was able to sort of, you know, not know what was coming, um, I think that that really helped. You know, um, they say, what's that thing, you know, um, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but, you know, ignorance is also bliss and I think that there is a lot of truth in that. Sometimes it's best not to know everything. So, um, yeah, so for me that, that was a good thing. I was also always called, um, do you, you know the book Pollyanna with the glad game, the, the girl that used to play the glad game, you know, oh, so uh, something yeah, so something bad would happen and to think of, of what was going to happen, you know, what was good about it. And, and I know that can sound really sickly, but I, I was like that as a little girl and I used to get called Pollyanna. So um, I think that nature um, and that personality trait has really helped me as well. Just I naturally, it's not that I don't get upset at things, I do. And it's not that I don't grieve and I don't, you know, feel um, great sorrow and loss, I do. But I also, after allowing myself to feel that, stop and go, okay, well, this is happening to me, but I don't want to stay feeling miserable. So what can I do to turn it around so that I can at least still enjoy something of my life? And mm -hmm. what can I do to give myself a little bit of control over the situation? And I think that's really important. I think sometimes when we um, get so overwhelmed by something, what we're really overwhelmed about is that we feel like we've got no control over our lives. And you know, to a degree, we don't. None of us really have a great deal of control over our lives, whether we're healthy or not. Anything can happen in our lives. But still as human beings, we fundamentally need to feel like we have some control. So I think that if we can just step back and think, okay, well, this is happening to my body, but what can I do in the rest of my life to give myself some control over my circumstances? And then you start taking some action, you start to feel a little bit better. It starts to just take down that dial of anxiety and fear of, of the future and, and what's happening to you. And you start to, I guess, start to get a little bit of hope that you are alive, you're still, you know, breathing and there are still things that can bring you joy as well. So that's, you know, it very basically, and I'll go into a lot more detail in that, obviously, with my story um, throughout my blog and things, but that, uh, for me, is really important in terms of acceptance. And I've just, I guess, touched on this. Ultimately, acceptance, it is a choice in terms of choosing your attitude but you have to work at it every day. It's not something that, because when I say choose your attitude, it can sound so glib to say, oh, well, right, I'm yes. to, you know, to put on a happy face today. It's not that easy. You can't just do that. Um, you have to really be determined to say, you know what, today's going to be a tough day, but I am choosing my attitude, even if it's an attitude of, I can do this, I'm going to push through and I'm going to do this and then at the end of it I'm going to have a reward of some description. Like, for example, going to the ultrasound this week was an absolute nightmare for me because at the moment, you know, I can't... Um, I can't sit in waiting rooms for, for great long periods of time and certainly can't sit on anything that's not a, a very soft chair 
or where I, you know, I have to be able to go, you know, recline back intermittently because of the spinal damage. So I know going to tests, you know, like that, they're just horrific for me and the recovery process is just awful. And if I put it any other way, I'd be lying because they are, (laughs) that's how it is. But the actual place where we go are amazing. They are, and because of COVID restrictions still, there, there are things you have to go through certain doors and you have to register a certain way. We still have that here in Australia um, for some medical um, departments. So, but they allowed me to remain in the car park, in the car with the seat reclined, and my husband was allowed to go in and register that I was there. And they um, they came out to the car and tested my temperature and did the COVID test. And then they came and got me with a wheelchair from the car park when the technician was ready to do the ultrasound so I didn't have to sit in the waiting room. What amazing service, you know. And I just yes. thought, okay, this is really hard, me having to do this. But I just focused on the fact of, look at the care that I'm being given. That's just incredible. <laughs> Um, how could I how could I not take some joy from that in the midst of a circumstance that was really painful and difficult? And then what I didn't realize was I thought the scan was like 20 minutes. It actually went on for an hour. Oh. And you know, I'm oh, no. and I'm in so much pain anyway, and pushing on everything as you know, you know, with ultrasounds and it's like, right. oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but anyway, look, you know what? I got through it. And um, we, we had decided when because I had been fasting for it as well. So, you know, I was looking forward to a beautiful cup of tea when I got home and a sandwich and whatever else. And that was my focus. I was focusing on the end result, not of what I was going through. And for me, that's all part of acceptance. It's, it's part of, of accepting in that moment that I had to go through something that was going to be difficult, but I was going to focus on the end result of being of having done it and, and knowing that I was going to feel really proud of myself that I had actually got through it, achieved it, and it was ticked off the list and I didn't have to think about it again. So it's that kind of thinking that helps, I think, rather than just focusing on what is happening to you at that moment that is just awful. Do, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Right. Totally. And, and, and also yeah. getting caught up in, in future scenarios. Yeah. That, was, that was something I did a lot, you know, in my, in my little mental yeah. narrative that I gave myself. I would jump to, well, if this is how I am right now, this is what my life's going to look like in the future. And it's it's easy to say, don't do that. Cause it took me a long time not to do that and to even recognize that I was doing it in the first place. But I was, I was like, I'm alone. This is awful. And you know, I, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to have a job. I'm not going to. And I would go through the whole list of things. And if you'd have told me 23 years ago that I'd have a podcast and a job, I would say, no, you are so (laughs) wrong. You're crazy. So you don't know. And really nobody does, like you said, their future, what you're unknown, what the future holds. Yeah. You can do is concentrate and figure out your, what you're doing right now and your present, but you have such a good mindset with you know, getting through things because you have had to get through so much. And that's incredible that you can do that because not everybody can. And it's something you do have to work out constantly. And it does get exhausting, you know, to constantly have to do it, I'm sure. But 
the alternative, you know, you know how you feel alternatively when you don't do the focusing on, you know, what. That's it. That's exactly it. And and, and that's the decision you've got to make. You know, do do you want to just allow it to completely overwhelm you? Because it will. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, and there's, there's, there's almost nothing wrong with that because when we're dealing with really complex chronic illness, it is overwhelming, you know, and, and we need to um, understand that for people as well. They need to know that it is okay to feel that because mm-hmm. we would be ridiculously, you know, non-human if we didn't feel that. So uh, you, you touched on something really important there as well, which um, I talk about again in my book about the what ifs and not living with the what if but living with the what is. Um, I have some a couple of beautiful friends, husband and wife team actually, who are clinical psychologists. And um, they they spoke to the, spoke to me about this years before I really became ill. And we were having this discussion about, you know, you can't live with the what ifs. You've got to live with what is. And it's exactly what you were saying. As soon as we start focusing on what if, we go down that that spiral. It's a black hole. Because mm-hmm. you, you just we just don't know. We don't know what what is. You know, it's um, it's just, it's just not not worth it. It really, really isn't worth it going down going down that path. And I, I think the key was if you're starting to think about what if, what if this happens, what if that happens, then you need to have some kind of method that makes you stop that thinking and and have the words come in. Okay, let's think about what is rather than the what if. So what is happening in my life at the moment that isn't all that bad that, you know, or that I'm coping with really, really well. Um, and it, it just, it's like a trigger. It just gets the brain to switch over and to start thinking in a different way. And immediately the spirits start to lift a little bit more. And it, But it's practice, Melissa. None of that happens overnight. You know, you can't just say, I'm going to do that today and that's going to be perfect and that's a great solution. You know, thanks, Sam, for that. It doesn't work right, right away. That big tip and, and it doesn't work right <laughs> away for sure. And, and you may have to find a different way. You know, some people use mantras, some people use mindfulness or meditation, some people use just odd, like even a rubber band on their wrist and they hit them, like they slap it and then they know. So it's like, you have to find a way for yourself where you don't slip into that. And it's really easy to do. And I did it for many, 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 many years. And I do think looking back now that it, it increased my suffering during that time because I I, I, and, and I didn't want to, I didn't mean to, you don't mean to do it. I didn't want to do that to myself, but that message was so strong and I was just regurgitating it again and again in my brain and hard to stop. Once I recognized it, it did, it definitely helped when I took that moment to say, Oh, I'm doing it again. again. Let's stop doing that. Like let's, let's focus. And even if you just focus your attention on something else and not, you know, to yeah. start, you know, there's just, there's small things, there's tricks, there's little tricks that you there can are. do brain to try yeah, to. Absolutely right. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things for me. One is music. So often mm-hmm. if I'm really going down about a bad spiral, um, I will, there are particular songs that I know if I listen to, I will just feel so much better. So I'll put them on. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me has been writing mm-hmm. and, um, you know, just one of my biggest joys is, starting to write a blog post and when I write a blog post I generally write it for me I don't write it for anybody else I know it goes out to everybody else and 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 obviously I write because I want to help others but it's just it just 
takes me to a happy place. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I can just start to express and myself and think in a, a in a different way, if that makes sense. And yeah, it's just been just my my outlet and my release. Very and good. So, point. Yeah. Yeah, I think and for other people it might be art, you know, mm-hmm. it might be making things. It depends on what your capabilities are, what your what your skills and your talents are, but it's about finding something that is is you, you know, that, that just works for you. I, I speak a lot about loves and losses and I'm a really big believer in looking at and not um, not sugarcoating things and not being in denial. And I think it's really important to look at the things that you've lost because otherwise, if we don't, we're not facing up to the reality of our situation and they'll, they'll just keep coming up all the time and making us feel um, really low and, and feeling, you know, out, out of control and that, that the chronic illness is everything. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as you know, Melissa, my, my great mantra, if you like, or the thing that goes through my whole my whole work my writing work is that chronic illness is a part of our lives it's not all of our lives and that's mm-hmm. the focus very much like you know with your podcast title of uh, title about you know um I am not my pain you know it's, it's the same kind of thing I absolutely believe that you're not we are not our pain we are not our chronic illness we are we are who we are we are more than that but to write down the things that we've lost and then one of the things that really helped me was a Alongside each of those things, I wrote down what I could do within my limitations to replace that loss. So, you know, for example, I used to love after work going shopping with my husband. Absolutely loved it. And we didn't always buy anything, but it was just the whole thing of window shopping, you know. So I can't do that very easily anymore. I can't even, I haven't been out of the house for Oh, I don't know, probably about seven months apart from like going to these these odd medical appointments, but most of my medical staff, people come to see me or it's on the phone because we're waiting for a customised wheelchair so that I can get out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, none of that's been possible for a very, very long time. And even if I do go out, I can't go out for very long. So that, that's a big loss. But I've replaced it with lots of online shopping, which I thoroughly enjoy. So, you know, so there's, there's the thing I write down and um, we can even window shop together, online shopping, you know, so there are ways of, of replacing something that you loved in a different way. You know, I, I can't go to church anymore. There's just no way I can sit through an entire service or anything like that. So, you know, we, we, we still have um, this YouTube services that we can enjoy and we, we my husband and I still have a great Sunday morning every Sunday, you know. So, so again, another way of doing that find it really hard to go out to cafes or, or restaurants because you know of, of chairs or just just the length of time that you've got to wait for things to be served I, I'm really limited in what I can do outside of the home but I so enjoy um putting together you know a really pretty morning tea for my husband and I we'll sit out on our patio and we'll make it like a cafe and again a way to replace a loss with um with a new love and a new way of doing it so that's kind of um one of the tools that I use a lot to deal with the changes and particularly when something happens that creates a new normal mm-hmm. um, a new normal in my life in terms of disability so you know I've, I've gone from prior to September when I ended up in hospital for that length of time I was able to walk with crutches in the home and I was able to walk with a walker outside the home now I can I have to use a walker inside the home and I can only use a wheelchair outside the home so that's the new 
norm now. Um, so more more things needed to be, you know, changed and, and adapted to. So, um, so my love and losses list had to change a bit as well. So I had to go through that process again. And that's the other thing. Nothing remains the same. And no. we can't think of, yeah, we've done something once. It's not a stagnant kind of thing. We'll need to go back and perhaps revisit it as well and, and be prepared to do that and go through the grief process again. Mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously through the work that I do with um, people online as well through my forum, you know, so often people want pain gone. They just want it gone. Yes. And, and I completely get that. But the thing with the word chronic is that it's there, it's chronic, it's not going to go away. Acute means it's there for a period of time and you will get better. But if you've been diagnosed with something chronic, generally you need to accept that that's a lifelong lifelong thing. And, you know, to want to have it gone or to want to have no pain is an unrealistic expectation. And the other thing with acceptance is we have to set realistic expectations. Otherwise, we're shooting ourselves in the foot straight away Mm. and we're never going to be able to create a new life for ourselves. So, yeah, I guess that's just another tip. Just think about realistic expectations. Yes. Small, realistic goals and expectations you can set for yourself that give you that sense of purpose or sense of independence or something to give you a little pleasure. It's, you know, but you don't want to go too big. You know, you you Mm. think smaller and then, you know, you might be able to build up to it maybe one time or whatever, but you really do have to be very cautious of that. But you're right. If you... (laughs) If you have unrealistic expectations of that your pain is just going to be gone, yeah, it's it's even more devastating when it's not, or when, yeah. and then and then you have to go through all this process kind of again. And it is <laughs> what people don't fully understand. They think you go through acceptance once. And it's like, oh no yeah, no, yeah. this is a no. daily, uh, monthly, yearly process. Absolutely. With, and honestly, if you really think about it, most people do have to do it too even if they're not sick, everybody has different things in their lives that pop up and they have to either accept it. They have to figure out a way to manage it. And then they, you know, so, I mean, we all have to do it in facets of our life, but with chronic illness, it does obviously affect every aspect of our life our relationships, everything. To listen to the rest of Sam's interview, especially on how she adapted her life. So her pain is a part of her life, but not her whole life, as she would say and how she maintains her perspective during challenging times. Please tune in to next week's episode. Thank you to Sam for being on the show, and thank you to my listeners for tuning in. I truly hope you tune in next week to the rest of Sam's inspirational and thoughtful interview. And remember, you are not alone, and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle.org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? 
simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.org forward slash meditations. To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at herocircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.